0: want to talk about good news. Um, that's probably not a surprise to you. Uh, Yesterday I was uh, in Kansas city at an event and, um, uh, I was leaving with the crowd of people and the person in front of me had a shirt that on the back it said, good news on the front. But I was behind her. So I didn't know what the good news was, and so I never could get ahead of her to see what's the good news, and that left me wondering, I still don 't know what the good news was on the front of her shirt. And so I didn't sleep well last night, not knowing what was the good news that is on the front of your shirt. And so uh, I, uh, so I, I just don't know. I wonder if it was good news maybe it's news that's good right now, and maybe it'll be old news by next week. I don't know. It's just good news. but We gather today to celebrate news. that's not hidden from us, but news that we know. And and it sounds like this from Luke chapter 24. On the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of our Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. But he has risen is that good news that we celebrate. It is that thing that has shaped the lives of millions and millions of people since. And so we join in a long triumphal procession today uh, of people who celebrate that good news. One of the assurances that we have that gives us confidence to believe that such a audacious thing, such as the resurrection of a man crucified on the cross, that we can believe in that is Christ's appearance to not just a handful, but but to dozens and dozens of people following his rising. And correlated with that is the drastic and dramatic change that took place in the lives of those who saw him one of those witnesses was a man by the name of Paul. If you know Paul's story, you know that he hated the church and he hated the Christ that the church preached. He hated it so much that he gave his life to persecuting it, wanting so much to rid the world of of this nuisance in his view uh, that kept spreading this message of a risen Jesus. But then we read this encounter in Acts chapter 9. It says this, But Saul And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. Paul's life would be dramatically changed by that encounter. Everything about him would change. In a few days, he would go on to surrender to his his life, to the Christ that he had previously and passionately persecuted. From that day on, he used that same passion to serve his Lord and Savior as a preacher and a missionary and a church planter. In the years that followed, Paul would go on to plant dozens and dozens of churches throughout the Middle East into Europe and uh, uh, places far and wide through a series of missionary journeys that you can read much about in the book of Acts. There are three of them recorded in that book in your Bible. Now, Paul's life as a missionary and a church planter was not an easy life. It was a hard life in many ways. But The love that he had for Christ compelled him to keep going, to keep doing this work, even though it was hard. But that challenge was not unforetold, unpredicted. Jesus warned Paul that when he called him to this service, called him to himself in Acts 9, he says, For Paul, you are a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name to the Gentiles and kings and to the children of Israel. For I will show him how much... He must suffer for the sake of my name. It is in the middle of living out that calling that we come to what seems to be today to be one of those hard and discouraging times for Paul. It is discouraging enough that it leads the risen Jesus to step in and say words of encouragement into Paul's life. And we read about it in Acts chapter 18. It says this, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. Now just pause there, just to look back in history. There was this moment in the late 40s, 50s of the first century where... Uh, the emperor, Claudius, the emperor of Rome, got tired of the disruption that the, Ro- the Jews of, of Rome continued to create these disturbances. And so we just banished the whole uh, group of them from the city, which was this mass exodus. And, and so this couple, Aquila and Priscilla, uh, apparently were Christians before they came to Corinth. But they settled in Corinth. And that worked out really well for Paul. It goes on to say, And Paul went to see them because he was of the same trade. He stayed with them and worked for they were tent makers by trade. And so Paul was not just a missionary and church planner. He was a man skilled at working with leather and making tents and things like that, uh, a skill he could do to provide for himself in times when ministry could not provide for his needs. And so on the weekends then, he would reason in the synagogue every Sabbath and try to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy, uh, if you read the book of Acts, Silas and Timothy are co-workers who had been left behind to do other assignments while Paul went on by himself through uh, Athens and now into the city of Corinth, uh, been separated. When they finally arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word. In other words, he was able, because of what they brought with them, they was able to go back to ministry full time, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they, the Jews, opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, "'Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles.'" And he left there, and he went to a house to the man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. And he had to make the long journey because the house was next door to the synagogue. So he left one building and went to another right next door. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord and together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. Now, I'm encouraged by this text because it shows that a man that is oftentimes viewed as um, above struggle, it's kind of a a pillar of, of faith, but it shows that a man like that who accomplished so much for God in serving Jesus was not always strong in that task. He grew weak. He grew discouraged. He grew fearful. His soul needed encouragement to stay faithful And in fact, Paul would eventually write a couple of letters to the church that grows out of this work in Corinth. And in those letters, he describes his struggle. He describes how he came to Corinth. And so I share this as just partly a preview, because if you come back next week, we're going to start looking through the first letter of Corinthians, looking at the things Paul wrote to them. But as he details where he was emotionally and physically and spiritually, um, listen to what he says in First Corinthians chapter two, verse one. He says, "And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. In other words, he wasn't impressive. He didn't come with something that would just wow them. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear." And in trembling, he did not come strong to Corinth. He came in struggle and in weakness. Later in Second Corinthians, the second letter he wrote to them, he says this, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia. In other words, the journey to Corinth took a, a big toll on him. It was hard. He's beaten. He's left for dead. A lot of bad things happened to him on the journey to Corinth. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. And so if you're writing in your journal about today, and you use words like weakness and fear, much trembling, affliction, peril, the sentence of death, You haven't had a good day, have you? That's a a rough spot to be in, right? So he comes to Corinth and he's weak. He is beaten down literally and figuratively. He's just in a pretty weak space. And so Paul very much felt like he was at the end of himself wrestling with all kinds of doubts. And we're not told what all those doubts were, but doubts oftentimes come for Christians in these couple of areas. Number one, sometimes he was struggling with his worth in Christ Maybe he was struggling with, this is who Jesus says I am, but all the messages and the voices of the world are telling me I'm this. And so I'm struggling with that. Christ had called Paul to love him and to serve him. Christ had spoken blessings and good things over Paul in his life. He had chosen him. He had shown him grace and full forgiveness when he didn't deserve it. He had adopted him into God's family. He had given him hope, a future, and a place of service in Christ's kingdom. And so God had said these beautiful words of hope and life over Paul. But the world around Paul had been hard on him. It it did not love him because of his faith. And it didn't love his Jesus oftentimes. It it spoke curses and terrible things over his life. It it tore him down. It called him a troublemaker. It, It tried to end his life on multiple occasions. And so perhaps the voice of Christ in his life was beginning to to fade and the voice of the world that was a complete opposite picture was waning and was growing in me, I should say. And so maybe he's struggling with his worth in Christ or maybe he's just simply asking, is this life worth it? He's struggling whether it was worth it or not. Because Paul had to weigh whether it was worth it to take on another round of abuse and rebuke and being reviled and harassed, it was only going to get hard. Paul knew this, as we'll see in a second. It was much easier, as it is today, just to go with the flow, kind of fade into the background, uh, step back, stay silent. It was hard to embrace Christ and to, and to do the things Christ had called him to do and to be. And as Paul will write in 1 Corinthians um, He says, the world around you thinks you're a fool for believing in Christ, shaping your life around Christ. And so Paul had to wrestle with, is it worth it? And so Christ shows up to encourage Paul's struggling hearts. And I think he does it in several different ways in the text we just read. But I just want to highlight two of them to encourage you with today. Um, The first is this. I think Jesus encourages Paul with a Christ-centered community. If you look in that text, Paul is encouraged and provided for and met with a Christ-centered community. Now again, Paul came to the city of Corinth all, all alone. His co-workers had been left behind with other assignments, and so he was alone in this situation. But the first five to six verses of the text that we just read from Acts 18 all speak about people who interact with Paul's life. And in doing so, they encourage him. They give him a place to live, to provide for himself. They provide a safe landing spot for him in his vulnerable state as he comes into Corinth. Now, God did not provide multitudes of people. But he did provide meaningful relationships just when Paul needed them. God gave him new friends, new relationships in Aquila and Priscilla. And this couple, if you continue to read the story going forward, not only become new friends, but they become deep friends who are ministry partners. And throughout the rest of Paul's life, this couple that Paul meets in this state of weakness and struggle, and they come from their own place of struggle after being, after being relocated out of Rome, they form this bond in this kingdom-centered, this Christ-centered partnership in which they serve the Lord together until Paul dies. And so new friends come and encourage Paul's heart. But then old friends show up. Uh, Timothy and Silas arrive and, and they catch up with Paul in and Corinth. And, and they bring not just the friendship of, of old friends showing up again, but they also bring news. If, if you read through the book of Philippians later today, I think there, if you get to the book of Philippians chapter 4, there's this great thank you note that Paul writes back to the church in Philippi, which he had just come through in the months ahead of this. Um, how they send a gift, a financial gift to support him in his ministry. And that was more than just money. It was their heart to his heart. heart. And and so Paul is encouraged by old friends who step into his life to encourage him in that moment. And so God used Christ-centered relationships, again, not multitudes of them, but just enough to keep Paul going and focused to see him through this time. One of the things that people who say that, "Yes, I celebrate the risen Jesus in my life, one of the things that ought to be um, intentional about and um, aiming for in our life is this whole idea of the resurrection the resurrection creates a kingdom community. Now, it may be an odd community full and made up of all kinds of different people from all kinds of different backgrounds and experiences and things, but They have this one powerful thing in common. Their lives are built on and around the resurrected Jesus. And that's what you see here. That's exactly what encourages Paul when he comes to town and he's figuring all this out. I want to show you a video. I saw this a week or two ago and and I appreciated it. Um, This is a a video of... um, Reindeer. No, nope, they're going to go play that if you want to. Um, there you go. Uh, those are going to show up on the screen. Now, don't look too closely because it will put you into a hypnotic trance if you look too deeply into them. Uh, but these are reindeer, and this is what they do the 11 months out of the year when they're not helping Santa, apparently. But these are reindeer, and this is called a reindeer cyclone. And if reindeer are threatened... They will begin to do this circle together. Because if you are, and I think the video that sets this up, is somebody shot an arrow over the top of the group to make them do this. But, um, but this group of reindeer, they are protecting each other by the, that community, right? As they, as they circle together, uh, they're protecting each other. They're, no individual one is vulnerable because they're all together. It makes it hard for an enemy to attack. And so there is that, that picture that Christ... And what he did through the resurrection was not just an individual thing. It creates a community that is meant to provide encouragement and life for those, for all of us. Um, It offers a protective and safe place for us to be. It's a voice that, as Paul talked about, he questioned his worth. It's a voice that reinforces who Christ calls us to be. and, And just reminds us, is it worth it? Yeah, it's worth it because we're on the journey to this beautiful place together with Christ. You see, Christ forms his resurrection community for the same reasons as that group of reindeer circles. It's protection, it's safety, it's, it's creating a good place for that group of people to be, those reindeer to be. But I don't know if you've noticed this year, but relationships have gotten harder than <laughs> the last year, right? It's been hard for lots of different reasons. A pandemic Politics, profound wrestling in our culture with all kinds of deep-seated things that just have just separated us in so many ways. And that's just out there. That's not to mention their own personal struggles, uh, that some of those things have kind of brought out in our life, uh, just social distancing, all the things that, that came with that, that have just left our relationships I would dare to say worse than they were maybe a year ago, in some ways. It's been a hard year relationally, But I am thankful that as I look at my life, um, it's had its own share of struggles from last year to this year, but I'm thankful for the way that God has used his people to help me um, through some things in my life over the last year. He brought some new people into my life, some Priscilla's and Aquila's who brought life and wisdom and counsel into my life in a very helpful way. He used some people I've known for years, some, some Timothys and some Silas's, um, uh, just to speak life and encourage and, and reinforce good things in my life when I was struggling. And that's the way it's supposed to work. And, and I, but it's easy to miss some of those things and all the chaos and the noise and the tensions around us. And as hard as it must be, though, I want to say this not as something to sit back and say, well, I hope that happens to me. And I hope it does happen to you. But if you are a believer in the resurrection of Christ... I want to turn that around and say, be Priscilla and Aquila to somebody else. Be Silas and Timothy to somebody else. Be the verb part of that, right? Um, We can all sit back and wait for it to happen to us. But I think one commentator I wrote said, Paul found Priscilla and Aquila in Corinth because he was looking for Priscilla's and Aquila's in Corinth. He was looking for people to connect to. And lo and behold, he found them. God brought them together as a blessing to Paul. And so as hard as it may be, we must stay committed to the power of Christ's resurrection community. Jesus taught it. He modeled it. He prayed for us to do it. And so we can't allow the problems and the pains and the prides of today to stop us from that pursuit. As hard and frustrating as it may be sometimes. I'm challenged to not give up on the power of Christ-centered community when I read a simple text like this. Now, you may be thinking, well, that's fine, but you don't know the jerks that are in my life. And maybe I, I know some of them. And maybe I am one of them. How about that? And so we all have a little jerk inside of all of us. And, and we, we struggle with that. And people are hard and messy. But I love this quote. My wife sent it to me. And when she writes my sermons, these are great things that she includes. And so um, this is from Ann Voskamp um, that says this Picture the scene of Jesus in the upper room. Um, he is in that scene, he's going to wash feet of all of his disciples. And when you know the story of the disciples, that's a messy group. He's going to have communion, break bread, the first communion with his disciples. And he's going to pass bread to the very one who is going to betray him. And I love this quote. If Jesus can dip from the same bowl as Judas, we can share the same table, the same space with anyone. And this is the key phrase, with grace. All right, I can be a jerk at anybody's table, but with grace is what Jesus does. To Peter, he's going to deny him three times. To Judas, he's going to sell him for 30 pieces of silver, lead to his crucifixion. But yet Jesus showed grace to a whole bunch of people at that table. And so maybe if we claim to follow Jesus, when we find ourselves pulling back and saying, I don't know if it's worth it anymore, all these relational things are just a mess, Safer just to stay back here. Jesus calls us out because somebody needs the friendship and the community that, as a Christ follower, you can give them. And so be committed to that. Look for that in the year ahead um, and as opportunities arise to do that. And never underestimate the power of one, all right? Sometimes we think it's got to be a mob of people. I don't need a whole reindeer cyclone. But just again, for Paul, it was just. A couple. It was two friends. It was small things, but made a big impact in his life. So, community is a very, very important part of this. But the second thing that's probably more glaring how did Jesus encourage Paul when he was weak and vulnerable? He came with a calming and calling voice towards Paul. He came towards Paul with a calming and calling voice. He calms him with those simple words. Um, I'm with you. And he calls him to more service. You see, uh, says a preacher listening to this week um, said that God answers every fear in our hearts. And I love that quote because as you read this text, if you stop at verse 9, if you stop at verse 8 actually, things are going pretty good for Paul. And you read through this. Listen again. Let's start in verse 8. This kind of summarizes the work that he's doing. That Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians... Uh, hearing Paul believed and were baptized. And so you have this ministry that's going quick, going well. Things are going good. And and the next thing that shows up is Jesus says, Paul, don't be afraid. What's there to be afraid about? We've, we've got a growing new church here. This is, this is big and exciting. And, and we even won the synagogue leader. That's a cool thing. There's all these good things. But yet the very next verse, and the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid. But go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you and no one will attack you or harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. Now the many he has in the city are people who have yet to become followers of Jesus. But God knows that as the gospel is preached, they are going to be reached. And so God needs Paul to stay and do his work so that others might be reached. And Paul listens. Verse 11. And he stayed a year and six months, a year and a half. He spent teaching the word of God among them. Now again, the, under the phrase, God knows the fear in our hearts, um, what's going on there? Why the sudden shift from ministry growth to, hey, Paul, don't be afraid. It's going to be okay. What's going on there? Well, experience had taught Paul that when he first came to a city, that's not when persecution was going to happen. Persecution and pushback was going to happen when people began to make decisions and baptisms were happening and, and people were making shifts from, hey, I'm a Jewish person to now I'm a Christian. And all of a sudden that was going to cause people at family reunions over Easter. They didn't have Easter, but, but as they got together for their family things, it's like, hey, where's so-and-so? Well, he's not with us anymore, because he changed faiths. It broke up things, it divided things, it made things complicated, and it brought pushback, because Paul was the lightning rod who was preaching this Jesus. And all of a sudden, when you look and see, when does Paul get persecuted and difficult things happen, it's when the rubber really hits the road. Like, people really start making decisions, and, and things begin to change. And Paul had lived this experience enough through many of the cities that he had gone through to know that, okay, I go to the synagogue, I preach there, it's fine. I'll win some converts, but then people like the synagogue leaders switch to my side. I'm following Jesus, and and the, those left behind are, are upset by that, and they begin to rally the masses and the mobs. And this is when I start to get hit with sticks and get thrown in jail, and people slander me, and I get taken before uh, councils and, and judges, and and life gets painful. And it's hard. And he's asking the question: Is it worth it to do that again? That's when the fear is coming up. It's kind of like uh, when you continue to bang your head on the wall, right? It, it's, uh, eventually you realize, oh, that hurts. Maybe I shouldn't do that anymore. And so Paul is wrestling with this fear in his life. Um, and so God comes to him. Jesus comes to him and says, Paul, I know this is the point of the story. You, you've had this little victory here, but I know this is the point of the story when it usually gets really ugly for you. You've still got bruises. You're still beaten up from the last time this happened to you. And I know this is this, this scary to you but I want you to not be afraid. In other words, stop being afraid is the verb tense. Stop, stop something that's been going on. Stop being afraid, Paul, because I am with you. That old ancient promise that goes all the way back in, in Hebrew history, that if you go back to Moses and you go back to Abraham and you go back to Joshua and you go back to David, what is it that God always promises his people to comfort them? I'm with you. It's not, hey, it's all better. It's, no, I'm with you in this storm. You're not alone. And so Paul needed to be calmed with that. And, and then he needed to be called to say, hey, keep going. Keep pushing forward. Keep doing this thing because I've got hearts and souls that I want to reach through you. And you need to keep faithful to this. So don't be afraid. And if you keep reading, God works out some really cool things as you read through the next paragraph or two. Just making things safe for Paul in a way that it never had been before uh, through some providential things. But life can be hard, though, right? We all have probably been there from time to time. That fear begins to creep into our life. And uh, just as Paul had fears, we have fears over things. We're probably not at the same level, but it's, it's the same fear. Fear is fear. And being on mission, trying to serve the Lord, trying to be faithful, whether it's in little or big things, can sometimes bring fear and can wear us down. Uh, Lorenzo Smith is a church planner in Los Angeles and a few years this is before the pandemic so it's even more relevant now I think but uh, he described described this whole experience of people like Paul where life has just worn you down and beaten you down he explained it like this he said that in these seasons you start to feel like a worn out basketball you've lost some air and you just don't bounce back like you used to And that can be the way that we feel sometimes, right? Lost a little air, I'm pretty flat, I'm just kind of worn out. And so when we feel like that, Satan's glad to just kind of work into that. That the past can wear us down. Maybe it's the risk of trying to do the right thing or being vulnerable or being honest or being uh, intentional. All those things can be scary sometimes. It's in those moments when you were tired and you've tried It didn't seem to go well. The experience is going to push up and kind of bottle up that desire to do right, to do the right thing. But Satan loves to show up and leverage our past wounds to hinder further work. He loves to just go back to, hey, remember, that was really bad. You don't want to do that again, do you? That's what he's doing with Paul. He will take what happened in the past and create mental obstacles to keep you from stepping into the next thing that God wants for you. And so in that moment, Paul had shifted his focus from, from Paul and the Lord to Paul and the problem. And he saw the problem. He saw it was right next door, right? That's, that was a good thing and a bad thing. Didn't have to travel far. But boy, the problem's right there. Every time I walk out the front door of church, guess where the problem's at? It's right there. If they, if they want me, they can come get me. The mob is coming. And so God says, don't worry about that mob. Don't worry about the people. Because the mob does show up. But it just God works out some things if you keep reading. It's coming. But I want you to quit focusing on that and I want you to focus on me. And it's the Lord's presence that calms him. And it's the Lord's calling that keeps him going forward. So the Lord's presence changes everything. But without a risen Jesus, you have really no reason for community and you have no reason to be calm and called into a service for him. First Corinthians 15 says that we are above all people to be pitied if Jesus is not alive and we're investing ourselves in all of this. But because he is alive... When Jesus says, I am with you, that changes everything. It can calm our hearts. It can move us into a community uh, of relationships centered on him. It can call us forward in service, even though it's hard and there's pushback and and mocking and all the things that may happen. Don't be afraid, Jesus says. I'm with you. I claim you. I empower you. So don't be afraid. Keep pressing forward. Keep walking forward with me. So today, I just want to invite you to just simply look at your life and ask the question, if I really believe this Jesus is alive, do I have the fruit of that? Am I pursuing to be a a friend or a community to somebody else? Am I looking for that, to be a blessing out of this risen life? Because life is hard and somebody around me needs that. Am I looking to do that? And am I listening to the calming and calling voice of Jesus in my life? May it be so. Would you pray with me? Our Lord God, we come today thankful for Christ. We thank you for what he has done for us through his victory, through his life and his death. We thank you, Lord, for the grace and the forgiveness and the hope of heaven that comes through that victory. But we also thank you for the tangible things like a community that makes this journey of faith doable. And thank you for that calming voice. Thank you for that calling voice that that just kind of keeps us going in peace and step with you. Thank you for that beautiful promise that is filled throughout Scripture, that you are with us. And Lord, today, if we are yours, may we find peace in that and may we find mission in that as well, to serve and to love and to be who you call us to be and to do what you ask us to do. And so we love you and we praise you today for that beautiful gift. In Christ's name we pray, amen.